Welcome to Emil Franzing's Voices of the West, dedicated to the principle that America was better off when our TV shows featured cowboys instead of lawyers. Well, and boy, howdy. Here we are once again. Harry Alexander, Bunker de France, Todd Roberts in Los Angeles. This is Emil Franzing's Voices of the West. And who's our guest today, Harry? Our guest on this Saturday, August, uh, August, yes, August oh, the 8th, August, yeah. is uh, Mark Langley. He uh, uh, He's on the line with us now. He's uh, He's got two books out, working on the third to be released next year. And uh, these are uh, mysteries set in present-day New Mexico, up in the uh, Four Corners, in the Four Corners yeah, area. Yeah. Death Waits in the Dark uh, is the... Uh, uh, the second book, that's the newest one that's out. So, uh, welcome, Mark. Howdy. Hey, well, I have to thank you for having me on. Oh, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. So, the the uh, this is the, the series uh, of the Takai. No, wait. Author Nakai. No, author, uh, yeah. Nakai uh, uh, is the character, and let's talk about him. How, how, how did this trilogy come to be? Well, if you want to go back, it's it's like anything in life. It uh, it took a long time to to come to fruition. Um, I heard a statement a long time ago that kind of stuck with me: is that life is what happens while you're busy making plans. <laughs> and um, you know, I, I I started with the idea that I wanted to do this. I read several you know uh, authors that just got me the the bug that I could do this. You know, I, I'm trying to do this. So 20 years ago, I started the book, the first book, Path of the Dead, and uh, by taking a, a two-week vacation out to the west, and I traveled the path they go in the book from the Four Corners area in New Mexico to the mountains of Montana, where it finishes up, doing it the old-fashioned way back then by dictating everything I saw into a small Panasonic tape recorder. Wow. <laughs> so, wow. I needless to say, I came back and I had a lot of tapes to transcribe down and did all that. Uh, then started developing characters and giving them names. And uh, Arthur Nakai was not the first name I, I chose for him, but that's the one that, that seemed to fit the best when I got down to actually doing it. And then uh, started writing it. And then, like I said, life happens while you're making plans. And all of a sudden, I met the woman that became my wife. And then there's there's daughters and, you know... <laughs> Yeah. And jobs and so forth, things things get set aside, and then uh, fast forward 20 years later, then I retired from uh, what I was doing in the automotive aftermarket industry there, and uh, I said I'm gonna I'm gonna try to do this and make this work. So you're and my wife said, okay, if it doesn't, you're getting a job. So you're getting a real job now and uh, doing the writing. <laughs> well, you know, I'll tell exactly, you, yeah, you know. I'll tell you no, what. Actually, I, I'm having fun doing what I'm doing. Exactly. <laughs> that's the best part, but, yeah. You know, I, that's one of the blessings here. Harry just hands me the book and runs. And a lot of the stuff you read, you know, it's, it's like you're reading it because you have to. And this is one of those books that I, I read it because I really wanted to. Uh, the, First paragraph, you. you know, that's that sets the tone. But I mean, what a pleasant read! What so smooth? You want to read? It's it's a quick read, you know. In I can read the same number of pages in the same amount of time, and it'll seem like an eternity. With this guy, it was just such a pleasure, and it seemed like it just breezed by. Well, you got some pretty good kudos here on your first first book. Uh, Path of the Dead, Craig Johnson, New York Times bestselling author, 
of the Longmire series, uh, writes, combining the gait of a fine horse, the comfort of your favorite Indian blanket, the ease of a well-worn saddle, Mark Edward Langley's Path of the Dead is one heck of a debut novel. You can't shake a stick at that one, buddy. I'm telling you, that was, that, that uh, totally surprised me when he sent that back to my publicist and he, and he CC'd me on the email. I just fell out of the chair pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what's, what's neat, because I'm, I'm a indigenous, you know, Bass, Cherokee, and Poetan, and so oh, cool. the Indian thing is always, always a great fascination for me. And I've been a lot of, I grew up in New Mexico, so I've, around the Navajos, Apache down where I grew up, but I was around the Navajos a lot working in the movies. And I'll tell you, it's so funny, but naming the guy author is so Navajo. I don't know, it's like they have this ability to take a white name and make it, and make it just fit, you know, it's like, it could be Arthur Two Steps or Arthur Stances in the Dark. They, it's a perfect name. Hmm. It really is. Well, thank you. I, I, it took a while to come up with that, you know, and um, I, I, I wanted to treat. It was a weird thing of coming around that uh, one of my favorite uh, musicians is R. Carlos Nakai. So mm-hmm. I liked the last name of Nakai. And then I ended up actually using uh, one of the friends I had's first name of Arthur, and that's what seemed to roll off the tongue better and feel better, and just seemed right for that character. So yeah. uh, became became he became Arthur Nakai, and I already had Sharon Nakai as wife, and so forth. And uh, uh, to delve into things I didn't know, you know, I had to to do a lot of research and so forth. And I even contacted one of the uh, the news reporters in Chicago that I gotten to be friends with and talked to her and I asked her, what are the things that you give up to do the job you have? And that's where she mentioned, you know, missed birthdays, missed anniversaries, you know, all these mm-hmm. things you miss doing the job and it puts the strain on relationships. I said, okay, I'll use that, you know. So uh, they have a they have a bit of a uh, everyday kind of thing with them where a lot of people who read these, uh, I'm not telling a story about Native American people. I'm telling a story about people that are everyday people mm-hmm. that somebody can relate to, uh, either in their relationship or whatever, you know. So that kind of comes across, I think, as a, as a loving story between those two. And uh, the first book, Path of the Dead, to me, um, I've heard a lot of descriptions of it, you know, but to me, it always ended up being the story of two men, the story of Arthur Nakai and Leonard Knessawa, the, the killer in the first book that both of those men could have been raised the exact different opposite way they were. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you'd have two different juxtapositions of, of things there, but uh, anything could have happened if they hadn't had the, the parents they had and so forth and been raised that way. So um, you had a guy in Leonard that, that used and despised women and, and just thought of them as, as playthings, and Arthur, who thinks of women and his wife as something sacred, you know, and, and loves her so much he will do anything to get her back why did you set this in the modern times as opposed to in ye olde times any particular reason well i i started uh actually falling falling in love with the southwest and the west when i was 12 years old uh, my parents 
took me out there on a vacation, you know, and it was just like, just this is where I have to be. It's in my heart. It's in my soul. No matter where I live, getting back there feels like home. The minute I hit that red dirt mm. and I hit that area in the four corners, I feel like I'm home, you know. Mm. Um, I love the dynamic of today. I, I honestly, I love all the John Wayne movies. I am a John Wayne fan. I have John Wayne original theatrical posters from Mother McCree up to the shootest, you know. Um, I have a boy collection of that, but I don't, I never really got into that. Uh, I tried to read some of the stuff with Louis L'Amour and so forth, you know, but uh, I, I still, I, I do love Larry McMurtry, I'll tell you that. Um, <laughs> you can't not love him, you know. But um, I wanted to set him in present day. I'm more in tune with the present day, and there's so many things out there that I could talk to people about um, like my before I did uh, Death Waits in the Dark, I had spoken to some Navajos out there, and after they began to open up to me, uh, I learned a lot of different things, a lot of history of the areas out there and so forth that I wanted to use in the book. They went to locations with me and, and told me about things that happened there and what things were and so forth. Um, what was they that? like the fact that I'm talking about things that are they're dealing with every day. So sure. uh, that was a good part of the stories I'm going to have in a lot of the stories that uh, like the fracking and drilling and so forth uh, and that 90-mile stretch of 550 right there. But uh, uh, they, they like the fact that I'm bringing things up, not just creating a story of fiction that is total fiction. Like somebody steals a painting or whatever, you know, but, you yeah. know, but uh, uh, those kind of things. But uh, I, I, I have a tendency to, to love the, the contemporary West, and that's where I just wanted to set those. And I felt the Navajo characters were the perfect vehicle to, to discuss all that with. How did you approach the nation in attempting to do this research? I mean, what, uh, I've never done anything with, with uh, an Indian nation as far as um, research. So, I mean, what, what, you, what was your process? Well, it was a, it's a kind of a, a, a catch-as-catch-can-lucky kind of thing that uh, I'm on Facebook with several Navajo friends that are on there on Facebook, and they, they followed me for a long time, last couple of years now, and um, I had a question, and I saw there was a woman that lived in the area of Kirtland there that I wanted to find out if this, if I had a character that lived in a certain area, would they go to the high school right there? And uh, she got back with me, and we discussed that. Then we got talking, uh, and she's the one who actually was became a liaison. Uh, Bettina was her name. Uh, became a liaison with me out there and got me to talk to a couple of people that uh, really were just stupendous to talk to. Um, one, I reference the one person uh, with a different name, of course, but I describe him in my third book because... To look at this gentleman, uh, you wouldn't think that he was anything, you know, uh, more than just a, a scruffy person walking by, you know. Mm -hmm. But uh, I had lucked in that day that he had a Wednesday off. And he is what they call the Encyclopedia of the Four Corners. And wow. uh, Arnold Clifford is his name. And what he does is he gives dissertations at colleges. He takes college students out in the wild and shows them different plants and so forth. He's a, he's a humongous uh, botanist and geological uh, psychology professor of the area. And he told me so many things. I, I said, can, you, can I record this? Because if you keep talking, I'm going to forget everything you say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, reams, reams of, of wonderful information that he uh, bestowed upon me with that. And uh, 
his his one question in the beginning to me when I mentioned Arthur had a dog, he said, "What's the dog's name?" And I said, "Akis," and he goes, "Okay." <laughs> that it 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 kind of resonated, so that was cool. And he goes, "Where do you want to go?" I said, "Well, I'd like to go to the areas that I have in in the books. So you can tell me about those." He said, "Well, let's go." So we did that for a day and uh, uh, went around different areas, and that was just a, a wonderful time to be with, spend with him and and learn. I love to be able to get out. There's so much more I need to know still, yeah. but with the right people that are opening up and telling me things and giving me. Uh, aid in certain situations when I ask them questions. It's, it's a it's a wonderful thing to have people trust you like that. That's I think that's really incredible because I, we did a program uh, a couple months ago with a University of Arizona professor um, on um, the Donna Autumn uh, here and how difficult or how how long it was for her and her folks to get in there and and be able to speak freely with them to get mm -hmm. that information that they wanted. And I, I just think that's great. Well, you know, here's the thing, too, which a lot of folks, you know, they, I'm sure a lot of people will look at the book and immediately go, oh, another Tony Hillerman book. And it's not. It's not a Tony Hillerman book. It's got, you know, it's got this. I love, I love what you mentioned earlier about the relationship with the family and uh, his, his relationship with Margaret, you know, his first love. Uh, right. That, that sets a tone that it just kind of lies under the surface, but it keeps bubbling up. And then at the end, that ending is just, it, it's, it's, it's Shakespearean. It's tragic. <laughs> well, that's, that's uh, wonderful to hear you say that, because that's, uh, that's one thing that, you know, I went through trying to figure. I typed the plot things out, so I'll pretty much sit there and I'll, just, I'll know what I'm going to use, the characters I'm going to use, and develop new characters and then sit down and I'll, I'll outline every chapter so I know where I'm going. Um, sometimes in the last, in this book, in Path of the Dead, I actually wrote part of the ending before I even got through chapter three, you mm -hmm. know, so I knew where I wanted to go. I just had to get there the journey, <laughs> at, yeah. at that point, you know, but uh, it's, I well, like you know, the relationships. I like characters. I, I often uh, tell people when they ask me, how do you develop characters or where did you learn to develop characters? And the people that I read growing up, mm -hmm. and I say growing up from like in my 20s, you know, because <laughs> yeah. I hardly read when I was a kid, you know, right, but right, uh, right. when I was watching, uh, remember the television show back in the, the 80s there, uh, Spencer for Hire, Robert Urich, you know? Oh, yeah. Sure. I was, Parker. I loved that Robert show. I, I loved that show, and, and Robert could be could have been no better to play that role, you know? But uh, I worked at a bookstore in Houston, and this woman I worked with, she says, uh, well, if you like the show, you should read the books. So I started reading the, the Parker-Spencer novels, and while doing all that, and you don't realize this until later on when you go to try to write something, you know. How much um, you learn. It's great. I learned I learned characterization from Parker. Yeah. You know, I, and and he just had that down. Some people say his characters talk too much. I think it's perfect, you know, but uh, learning how the banter went, how the talking went, how everything is just just unfolded was fantastic, you know. And then I always say that I I, I read Mickey Spillane a lot, you know, so I, mm -hmm. I learned how to set up action by, by reading Spillane, you know. Uh, read a lot of John D. McDonald for the story-wise and so forth. Um, yeah, I did people. read Tony <laughs> Hillerman, you know, and I have 
I have every Spencer Parker novel in hardcover dust jacket. I have every Mickey Spillane Hammer novel in hardcover first editions. I have all the Tony Hellerman ones in, in first editions, you know. Um, so I read Tony, and Tony, in the way he did description, describing every landscape, every nuance, you know, I'm like, I can do this. I should be able to do this. This is, this is what I want to do, you know. And then, again, fast forward all these years later, I'm, I'm actually... Uh, when I found my voice, it took a long time to find my voice. And uh, when I write, and then once I found that, it was like it's a dream. I just, hmm. it's it just a lot of times my characters talk in my head when I'm not even sitting down on my desk. Well, you know what's kind of neat is I was looking at your site, and there's that picture of you standing in front of Flat Iron Rock. Yeah. And then you look at the cover of the book, and all yeah. of a sudden I realize that's Flat Iron Rock <laughs> right. there on the cover. Yeah. Yep. All right, we got to yeah, do our we got to do our first break. Uh, Mark Edward Langley is our guest author. Uh, the latest book is Death Waits in the Dark. They are mysteries uh, set in the modern time in the Four Corners area. This is Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. It's Bunker to France. Harry Alexander and Todd Roberts. We'll be back with much more right after these very important messages. <laughs> Arizona, the land of cattle, copper, and cowboys. It's also the true west, where a large number of westerns were built. For your next vacation, come out to where Wyatt Earp made a name for himself as a highly respected sheriff. Stay where Jimmy Stewart filmed Winchester 73. That would be the White Stallion Ranch. Situated in the mountains just northwest of Tucson, the White Stallion Ranch is an award-winning dude ranch with 43 guest rooms and a hacienda. That's a five-bedroom, three-bathroom home, perfect for larger families, family reunions, and girlfriend getaways. Every guest room has a private patio with views of the cactus gardens, mountains, or corrals. Generous floor plans offer sunny, comfortable rooms, but you won't want to stay in your room. Outdoor activities are plentiful at the White Stallion Ranch. Horseback riding, hiking, shooting, archery, rock climbing, e-biking, and a weekly ranch rodeo are among the numerous activities that you'll enjoy on your ranch vacation. Go Western for your next getaway. The White Stallion Ranch. Book your vacation now online at whitestallionranch.com or call 520-297-0252. Imus Wilkinson Investments, 777-1911, is a unique investment management firm. They pay little attention to where the market indicators are because smart investment management goes way beyond checking stock exchanges. They are very good at managing all types of investment based on client expectations. They build relationships, and they want clients, not customers. My family is proudly included among them, and they'll help you, as they did us, design a portfolio that achieves what you want when you need it. Imus Wilkinson Investments, they're really good at what they do. 777-1911. America, let me tell you about Sergeant Greg Ann. Anderson, served two tours in Afghanistan, Bronze Star and Purple Heart recipient, and unemployed. The unemployment rate among transitioning service members is unacceptably high, much higher than the general population. Veterans are a proven commodity. They're mature, reliable, and hardworking. They deserve a chance to get back to work after serving their country. Do you really want to honor a veteran? Hire one. Go to legion.org slash honor veterans to find out how you can help. Watch classic Western movies anytime at voicesofthewest.net.
are back on Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. Harry Alexander, Bunker de France. Todd Roberts is in Los Angeles. Our guest is author Mark Edward Langley, uh, author of a uh, latest book, Death Waits in the Dark. And he's, music. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I kind of like these um, ga- ghostly fiddles. <laughs> oh, uh, hey, Mark. You know, yes. Why don't you kind of give us a little history of Arthur? You know, former Marine, uh, Wolf Pack Battalion, Shadow Wolves. His backstory, you know, he could almost, there's, when you read it, you could almost turn this guy into. A, a superhero James Bond, and he's not. He's he's you know he takes the spiritual path. He's he's like he reads like a real person. You know he's got he's got his, his weaknesses and got his strength. So tell us about a little more about about Arthur and how he came to grow up to be the man he is. Well, I started uh, when I started to do the backstories and all the characters, you know, and. I thought, what better way to, I wanted him to have skills. I wanted him not to have Liam Neeson skills, you know, and so forth. I wanted to have skills of someone that would be able to handle a lot of things that would come along that he wouldn't need police for or whatever else or rely on someone else to get the job done. And I thought, well, I researched and went back, and I I thought, okay, if I put him at 45 years old, i got to go back that long. He turned 18, and this time, okay, he joined, okay. I had him join the Marines and then be a part of that uh, for 10 years. And then once he uh, discharged from that, he went to, you know, school for a bit and so forth and uh, and tried tried college there and that kind of thing. But then he ended up being... uh, at that point in time, just the Border Patrol. It wasn't part of Homeland Security back then. And then uh, he had that the Wolf, uh, Shadow Wolves there is an actual group of a 15 Native American uh, tracking force they have that used to actually run in Tohono O'odham their uh, reservation and, and did mm-hmm. uh, a lot of protection, you know, of, of the drugs coming across and uh, illegal uh, people coming across and so forth and trying to help them out and this and that. And I think in the second book, because of Arthur's history and what he's done, um, there's at some point in my third book, he kind of struggles with being the Border Patrol agent there with, with the Shadow Wolves and then how the incoming, um, you know, immigrants uh, had their path after they had come across him or his, his people, you know. Uh, so he struggles with that a bit. Um, he, he's not the, the be-all, end-all superhero kind of guy, you know. Yeah. Except he does have some faults. He does have, you know, some, uh, some baggage that, that's in there, you know. Uh, Margaret certainly is a part of that. Uh, that is uh, good baggage, uh, memories, and so forth. And uh, going through that, my, my, my editor I had questioned me on a few things of Arthur remembering things. And I said, that's actually part of my history that, you know, I feel that way about people that I've known in the past that were part of my past. And you always, you always remember the first you know, mm-hmm. uh, a woman that you fell in love with. So that's part of the thing where I brought that into his heart that, you know, he, he, as the person that was set upon the task of uh, being there, 
you know, to take care of these boys and so forth, uh, and, and not being able to do that job to his best ability, um, it couldn't have been helped. He couldn't have stopped it, you know, but he thinks that he wasn't doing his job, and that nags at him uh, and tears at his heart right there. That's why he has to find out who did this, why they did this, and what the whole situation uh, is, you know, going to turn out to be. Yeah. And I, li- I like the way you, you integrated the wolf back, you know, the Lar guys, his old unit into the story in such a way that it, it like it, it, they're dealing with PTSD. Margaret, with, from her experiences with the Apache, dealing with the same thing, but not being able to tell him. And it's just, it's, it's, it's an interesting play of dynamics that, you know, they separately, they seem to have no relation until you travel through them, and all of a sudden, they just, they just come rushing together. Yeah, yeah, they do. Um, I know with with uh, with Margaret there, I wanted to have certain things. There, there's things in the books that I that I want to have there that are real, um, that are actually happening out there and so forth. And there may be a little uh, vignette of something that the the police captain Jake Billigody is trying to track down, or somebody his and his uh, agency there is trying to track down. You know that actually that actually happens. So I think when somebody out there reads the books, they'll go, "I remember that," you know, because it yeah. actually did happen. You know. But um, trying to get the characters believable, and I want to make them real. I want people to relate to them, and I'd like for people to to come away not thinking of them, like I said, as as Native Americans, but thinking of them as as equals. There's no there's no difference uh, between you know white people or anybody else that's out there. You know, there's no. a, there's they're they're people just like you. Like they have you know, marital problems and whatever else in the world, you know, going on. Um, but there is a stalwart, I think, uh, part of Arthur that makes him want to do the right thing no matter what. Like in, in the first book, it's, 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 I struggled with the ending because I, I wasn't sure if I wanted to make it more of a revenge story at the end or justice story at the end. I think I chose the right way on that one, you know. Right. But, um, and this one here with the with the Marines part of that, I wanted people to learn more of Arthur's past, more of what made him who he right. is and how he, he relates to them and deals with that. And I myself uh, was never in the service, so a lot of guys that I went to school with in high school joined right out of, the, of high school, you know. So I sat down with one of them that I knew uh, for a long time now. I've got one of my friends since I was like 10 years old and uh, listened to him for hours just talking about things that happened out there and so forth and what he's dealing with himself and and that's why it's de- dedicated uh, in there to chap because he was a chaplain in the in the service you know and dealt with a lot of things uh, out there and still today is dealing with a lot of things out there uh helping you know soldiers that come back and try to deal right. with the ptsd and so forth and i really have a a heart for that that uh, there's so many that went over there and did a lot of things, no matter what it was, war it was, in the 30s, 40s, whatever, you know, World War II, World War One, Vietnam, whatever, that come back and they're still there. They're never not going to be there, you know. And I, I wanted to try to treat that with some reverence and put the point across that uh, people may understand maybe, maybe a little better uh, what that is because, you know, it's they don't stop to think that... 
you know, fireworks from the 4th of July sets them off. It brings back bad memories. It brings back things that just rattle them to the core, you know, exactly. or if you're uh, maybe sitting at a at a at an auto repair place and somebody runs an air gun, there you go, the same situation happens, you know. So it's yeah. it's it's so many things you're driving and down the street and it's all crowded around you. You get so claustrophobic with that and, and frightened, you know. So it's it's things that happen every day that uh, they did things they don't talk about. No one talks about it. My dad never talked about his Air Force days, you know, and so forth. So there's I wanted to kind of have a reverence with that as well as a, a reverence with all the, the Navajo people and their way of life and I, I liked being able to talk with them and sit down and get more of a feel for that because I didn't, I didn't want to be you know glorifying or, or, or glamorizing things and making things up I wanted to tell real stories well you know Harry and I are both veterans and you know in reading the book your your veterans are real so is Arthur and it made me think, you know, the characters to be real, the Navajo people in your book are real. And one of the things that I, I always see is that there's a shyness among the Navajo, you know, and, and, there's a, and their humor is kind subtle. of... Subtle. Well, it's subtle, it's, subtle, it's sly. Uh, yeah. And, but it's it's never cruel or cutting, no, no, no. and but they're just they're so gentle. I I he, I hear the wolf there in the background. <laughs> he wants on the air too. <laughs> uh, so t- how did it happen that uh, you were able to get Bronson Pinchot to narrate uh, your first book uh, as an audio book? Well, as it's it's all this has kind of just. You know, domino as, as far as things went. You know, I uh, got lucky enough to work with the audio department there at uh, Blackstone, and they sent me four people reading uh, an excerpt from the book, and gave me the choice of choosing which one I wanted to to voice the novel. And my wife and I listened to it. You know, and, and both of us thought that Bronson was the guy. It just mm. he he hit that. I, and of course, I've watched him all since, since Perfect Strangers, you know, but yeah. <laughs> he's, exactly. he, is, he is no longer Balker and no longer Balker, you know, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I, I love the way he did it, and uh, the second book is just, he's a phenomenal at that as well, you know. Cool. But uh, I got the choice of, of, of choosing four, and he was the one I, I chose. Let me ask you this, cool. because I, uh, you, you, in the second book, you introduce uh, Chief Villagodi, uh, you know, the Navajo police chief. And he is such an interesting character. I could almost see him doing standalone, do his own book. But uh, are you planning to use him some more in the future? I know he's in the third uh, book. Oh yeah, he he was he was in the first a bit there, you know, and he's in the second book, and it's uh, uh, he's in the third book. Um, I had been I've been toying with that because I actually wanted before I got the contract with Blackstone, I had at that time the one book written, and I had titles and outlines for eight more. So. I, I've got, you know, a total of nine that I can do. So after the third one comes out, I have six more already titled up and, and ready to go. You know, <laughs> I, just have to, I just have to start creating people and, and filling that world, you know. But um, do, do you Jake know, is one of those. Do, do, oh, you, go ahead. do you know Johnny Boggs? <laughs> uh, no, I, he, he and I are friends on Facebook, and I, oh, I have uh, communicated with he, him that way sometimes, yeah, you know, no, but no, uh, he, I don't actually know him uh, uh, per se as a face to face. Great author. I mean, he, he has oh, books. Fine. He has books coming out 
uh, coming out his ears. Out his ears. Uh, every week it seems like he's got <laughs> yeah. a book coming out uh, with all well, the, the ideas. Well, I have another stuff. question <laughs> for you. I, I just wondered. <laughs> How did it come about that you changed the title from Navajo Win? On the first book, yes. Well, uh, that's and that that was kind of hard to to deal with because it had been that title for twenty years. My wife was upset that they wanted to change it as well. Um, that dates back to you know uh, I guess the publisher doing you know research of people reading things and so forth mm-hmm. and giving them copies and getting feedback uh, at that point. And um, back then it was like well. Uh, the, the the Native American people reading it were like, what's this white guy know about being an Indian, you know? Yeah. And they didn't want to have that maybe on there like that, but wanted to make, you know, something uh, that would be a title that would appeal to a lot of people, you know? So I thought about that pretty hard uh, for a while there, and I came up with, well, Path of the Dead, and I had to change one line in that to reflect the title because I had Navajo Wind in there, you know. But uh, that was about it with that one. But I think it was a good choice. They were they were right about that. They they brought up maybe I don't know, oh, twenty six items they were questioning and so forth. Wow. But they had the right they had the right to do that. And I won ninety eight percent of the arguments with that because <laughs> they were valid conversations that that didn't need to be changed and things like and wording and so forth, you know. But um, I'm I'm glad with the way it turned out, and it turned out very well, and I I love the title. Yeah, it's an editorial experience. Yeah, they know what they're doing. Yeah, Hopefully. I mean the one thing the one thing you do learn is that uh, it's a business. Yes. Yeah. You know, and and I've been in business for my you know during jobs and so forth, and the last job I had was a uh, um, division head for a company. You know, so I understand the business look at things. You know. And there's some things you can argue about and win. Some things you can't. You just let those go and you move on. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of hard to figure that uh, or understand that sometimes when you're doing something that is fun for you and you know you're going to earn some bucks out of the deal, <laughs> but then you got to make so, those other decisions. Uh, that, sometimes uh, you got to bend the knee. Yeah, little, uh, exactly. We're talking with Mark, yeah. Mark Edward Langley, uh, author of Death Await Waits in the Dark book number two of his trilogy about Arthur Nakai. And uh, Mark is in Indiana. Todd Roberts is with us also. He's in Los Angeles. Bunker to France and I, Harry Alexander. I surely am. Yes, we are here in Tucson. (laughs) You're uh, you're across the table from me, Yeah, right. That's where you are. We'll be back after these messages. When looking for a property management company, here are some things you should consider. How long has the company been in business? What types of properties can they manage for you? And does the company give back to the community? Well, your search is over. The Polash Management Company meets and exceeds those considerations. They've been in business in Tucson, Arizona since the 1960s. They manage all types of properties throughout Arizona and elsewhere, from residential to commercial to public sector properties. The Polash Management Company also dedicates its time and resources to numerous community projects, including help funding the drive for the USS Arizona Memorial at the University of Arizona. You also want a property management company that puts you, the customer, 
first. Contact the Paul Ash Management Company today at paulashmanagement.com and ask about the complete package or call 520-795-2100. That's 520-795-2100. The Paul Ash Management Company, property managers you can trust. Can you even imagine switching back to pen and paper to run your business? Every year we become more and more dependent upon our technology. If your network is not set up properly, you're just one click or one email away from losing data critical to your operation. Arizona Computer Guru offers a host of services to prevent and protect you from disaster. From online backup services to email filtering to fully managed network services, Arizona Computer Guru is here to keep your network secure, your data safe, and your budget in the black. To schedule your free consultation, call 304-8300. The Tucson Trap and Skeet Club announces summer trap and skeet leagues beginning Tuesday, June 24th for trap and five stand and Thursday, June 26th for skeet. The league runs eight weeks and competition begins at 6.30 p.m. Call 883-6426 to sign up. Summer office hours are 7.30 a.m. to 1 p.m. on Wednesday, Saturday, and Sunday. That's 883-6426, Saturday, Sunday, and Wednesday between 7.30 and 1 p.m. to sign up for Summer Trap at Skeet League. Hello, podcast listeners. I'm Tom, the host of the Movies Outs podcast, and I'm inviting you to give the Movies Outs podcast a listen. Every episode, my co-hosts and I review the latest box office releases, but there's more than simply just that. We also play games like the Alexa quote of the show and may the odds be ever in your favor and have a from the cutting room floor segment that is an open forum to discuss anything from our thoughts of a Netflix TV series to our experiences with movie subscriptions such as the AMC Stubbs or MoviePass. So, after finishing this podcast, please give the Movies Out podcast a listen. We can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Play. Simply search Movies Out. Until then, and that's a wrap. Out here, due process is a bullet. This is the Voices of the West. Indeed. Out here, due process is a bullet. (laughs) (laughs) Harry Alexander, Bunker to France, Todd Roberts on Emil Francie's Voices of the West. Our guest is Mark Edward Langley, author. Mark, I have to play the, uh, in case there's any question, I do have to play the High Chaparral theme every... uh, uh, in the break number two, and that is because Mr. DeFrance here was in 52 High Chaparral episodes as a stuntman, really? as an Indian, as uh, whatever yeah, wh- whatever well, they you know, wanted him to do. The truth is, if you don't play it, I walk. That's yeah. it. That's it. I'll walk. Through. Well, see, I'm and there is that, so I have to play that theme theme song. But, but, plus, it's some damn good music, too. It is good music. Anyway. And you, who'd ever think of using an organ in Western music? Well... Electric uh, organ, but still an organ. Yeah. You got you got the French horns too. Yeah, well, West, West wouldn't be one without the French horns. Well, Mark, <laughs> I, 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 I sneaking around here, and I, I, I a little bird told me that you you've been thinking about maybe moving to the Four Corners area. Is there any uh, truth to that rumor? Yeah, uh, my wife and I've been out there several times. You know, in the Last time I was out there was doing the research for Death Waste, and we stayed in Santa Fe for 10 days, and uh, right there off the off the square, you know, and I, I fell in love with it, she fell in love with it, you know, and um, hopefully, if, if things go well, and then I can make a living doing this, and then uh, we can we can pick up stakes here and, and move out there and find somewhere in Santa Fe to live the rest of our lives out. Well, uh, you know... Uh, I'm just, I I brought a map with me. I got the Four Corners area sitting right here in front of me. 
and that is you know the, the stark beauty of that area you know that's why john ford was up there you know that's why so many people shoot up there but uh, yep now can you tell us without giving anything away uh anything about when silence screams or is it we're asking too much here no, we love to talk about that. Um, <laughs> the third book is called When, when Silence Screams, you know. Um, that, again, is a situation that uh, I discovered um, dealing with people out there and, and listening to people. I, I looked online, found a lot of reference material on that, and watched some videos of, of families and so forth, because when that one came to mind, uh, I do things backward most of the time where I come up with a title first and then I, I craft a story around that title that fits that title. And I did that with all the books, especially with When Silent Screams there, because that one deals with um, a missing 19-year-old Navajo girl and then a missing 15-year-old Navajo girl and then the body of a 21-year-old woman gets fished out of the lake by the power station there on the reservation and um, you wonder by the time you get to that point are all three of these connected um, because I, I really what touched my heart was all these stories about the missing and murdered indigenous women of the reservations in general and uh, as I've mentioned before to a lot of people that ask me about that, I'm like, you know, when, when someone goes missing off a golf course, it's a young girl, uh, the news is all over it, you know. But in 2016 alone, what, what really just shook me to my core in thinking about this was that on the reservations in the U.S. and Canada, 5,712 girls and women went missing. And you, you read the stories and you hear the stories of the families talking about this and why thing, things haven't been done, why nobody's been found or whatever, you know. Um, it just made me want to create a fictional story about that and maybe enlighten some people that don't know this is even going on because to me it's, it's a far bigger tragedy than a lot of things uh, political that are out there right now, you know. But these things nobody knows about. And... It's, it's not that, you know, this is happening almost every single day. And I get uh, flyers on my, my phone all the time of girls that end up missing in the same day of four or five in a week or something, you know. And it all tends to be about the same 17, 16-year-old, brown hair, dark hair, brown eyes, whatever, you know. And it's all from all re reservations across the country. And... I, I listen to them, and it's like I, I have to write something about this that will get the information out there. I hate—I don't actually preach to anybody in the books. I, I give different sides of things and let the reader figure out what they want to believe or what they want to think about a certain situation. But this whole thing just—it just bothered me so much that I really wanted to delve into this and and bring to life characters that you would care about in the situation that they're in. And like I said, my wife reads everything. And as she was reading it, she she looked at me like I was Stephen King, you know. And, I, and I'm, I'm sitting with you, you know. It's like you know, this is what what are you what are you doing, you know? I mean, but she read it, and she says she read through the whole thing, and there were times she cried, there were times wow, that awesome. she laughed at certain things, you know, and there were times that just made her stop and think about things. Mm. And that's what I want to have happen. I want to have people gain an emotional trust with the story that I have and know that this is fiction 
but this actually happens to people. Sure. And uh, I brought up a point the other day to somebody that, you know, uh, the last Stallone Rambo movie only scratched the surface mm-hmm. of how things happen and what happens to these girls. I delve into that more in the book so you can actually uh, understand the tragedy that this is because some of these girls that go missing are found, are alive, you know, they're fine. Um, some are found dead. Uh, at some point with that, it's usually uh, uh, like anywhere. It's, a, it's an ex-lover or a husband or whatever, you know, someone they don't they even know, you know. But a lot of them, the majority, don't get found at all. And then the families have no recourse because... They're not getting told anything by law enforcement trying to find them. Um, they have no news. They go six, eight, twelve, twenty, you know, four months with no information. And and they they, it's it's one thing, you know, when someone goes missing, and it's just it's a, it's a tragedy no matter how it shakes out. But when you realize the loss these families have that there's no birthdays there's no possible weddings there's no grandbabies there's no any milestones with that child you would have right. stopped to exist mm-hmm. well you know I, I i i commend you because i'm on your site and the fact that you support the missing and murdered indigenous women uh but i want to take a moment here to read a list of names that i took off of your site of Indian women, Indian young Indian girls that are missing. I think this kind of drives it home, and this is a serious moment, but it's a serious situation. Amy Lynn Hansen, Sherry Ann Woundedfoot, Staying Sacred Program, what's oh, the, uh, Brianna Bentley, uh, Brianna Spotted Eagle, Anise Villa. Uh, Sophie Whiteout, Elizabeth Greyhawk, Andrea Wildcat, and the last one was one they found. Only she's identified as Jane Doe. Uh, they found her body in Lander, Colorado, Lander County, Nevada. Uh, body was so badly decomposed and scattered all over that uh, it was a chore for them. But I think, you know, it's it's. So we have a lot of problems in the world, and this is one of the problems that just seems to be continually swept <clears throat> under the rug. And I thank you and commend you for your interest in it. Thank you. I appreciate that. I, I'm just, you know, the the group Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women don't need me to speak for them. They they speak very well for themselves. Um, I don't want to I don't want to speak for them or even attempt to speak for them. But this this subject really just, you know, got to me, and I wanted to create a story that would maybe enlighten some people about the situation. All right, we got to do our final break here. Well, Mark, my... Go, oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Dodd. Well, my, my friend, uh, Zoe Uranus, who's a Tinglet and an, uh, another tribe, uh, Northwest Coast, uh, mm-hmm. she's a great artist, a photographer, and she has started a program in her photography art of uh, in and about these missing Native women. Good. And uh, it's a uh, it's her her photography is very striking, but when she incorporates the women to it, it's very heartfelt. You know, it, yeah. So I I, I, I think that uh, not enough people can speak up. It we need everybody needs to speak up. Thank you. Right. Yeah, talk. it's not it's not a it's not a certain race thing. It's it's a thing for everybody because mm-hmm. it's not just them that, that goes missing but it's it's the majority of them that nobody nobody even knows about and the justice exactly system, the justice system is set up in such a way that you know it's just so much harder for 
for the families to even contact anybody sure. or to get information because of the bureaucracy. All right, we've got to uh, take oh, our yeah. final commercial break here. Uh, this is Emil Franzi's The Voices of the West. Harry Alexander, Bunker de France, and Todd Roberts. Our guest is Mark Edward Langley, and the book is called Death Waits in the Dark. We'll be back with much more right after this. Arizona, the land of cattle, copper, and cowboys. It's also the true West, where a large number of Westerns were built. For your next vacation, come out to where Wyatt Earp made a name for himself as a highly respected sheriff. Stay where Jimmy Stewart filmed Winchester 73. That would be the White Stallion Ranch. Situated in the mountains just northwest of Tucson, the White Stallion Ranch is an award-winning dude ranch with 43 guest rooms and the hacienda. That's a five-bedroom, three-bathroom home, perfect for larger families, family reunions, and girlfriend getaways. Every guest room has a private patio with views of the cactus gardens, mountains, or corrals. Generous floor plans offer sunny, comfortable rooms, but you won't want to stay in your room. Outdoor activities are plentiful at the White Stallion Ranch. Horseback riding, hiking, shooting, archery, rock climbing, e-biking, and a weekly ranch rodeo are among the numerous activities that you'll enjoy on your ranch vacation. Go Western for your next getaway. The White Stallion Ranch. Book your vacation now online at whitestallionranch.com or call 520-297-0252. Imus Wilkinson Investments, 777-1911, is a unique investment management firm. They pay little attention to where the market indicators are because smart investment management goes way beyond check and stock exchanges. They are very good at managing all types of investment based on client expectations. They build relationships, and they want clients, not customers. My family is proudly included among them, and they'll help you, as they did us, design a portfolio that achieves what you want when you need it. Imus Wilkinson Investments, they're really good at what they do. 777-1911. Hi, this is Craig Morgan with a special message for all those who have served in the U.S. Army. The National Museum of the United States Army, to be built at Fort Belvoir, Virginia, will include the Soldier's Registry, an electronic record of Americans who have worn the Army uniform, recognizing their service. I've already added my story to the registry. I hope you'll add yours. To learn more and to make your story a permanent part of the National Army Museum, visit armyhistory.org. Read classic Western comics anytime at voicesofthewest.net. Sounds like it ought to be a movie score, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Welcome back to Amal Franzi's The Voices of the West. Harry Alexander with you in Bunker to Friends and Todd Roberts in Los Angeles. Our guest is author Mark Edward Langley. The book is Death Waits in the Dark. And, uh, Mark, how was your uh, interview with uh, International Thriller Writers Magazine? <laughs> that, was, uh, that was a unique situation because of the COVID-19 going yeah. around, you know. Right. Um, it wasn't a face-to-face -face like I'd hoped, you know, there, but... Uh, uh, he sent me a lot of questions that were, uh, after he'd read the book, that were good questions to ask, and I thought I had, uh, you know, given him some, some good answers on that, and that really uh, was how I felt about things, so that's how that went. He submitted the questions to me, and I 
read those through and then I answered those questions uh, in according to the, the number they were there and uh, sent them back to him and that's how it uh, went. <laughs> Charles was Charles was great to, to do that with and that's how it went. It was just I wish it could have been face to face, but you know that's yeah. how things go these days. I love it on your website that you've got uh, podcast and virtual tour, uh, virtual book tour. I think that is so cool to do that and, and uh, self promotion here we're going to help you out with that uh, i like the bird and the bird bath and the squirrel yeah okay um whatever that means uh today <laughs> he knows today's uh, today's program obviously uh, and the fireplace the okay. fireplace is cool i've heard that you've got a beautiful fireplace okay. i like it myself good uh your next event is going to be authors on the air podcast and that is at the uh, 26th of, Oct- of august 6.30 Central Time. Then you've got a uh, on the 31st of August at 7 p.m. Central Time, a Facebook Live event with Tina Hogan-Grant. Then you've got uh, September 1st, All Things Investigative <laughs> Podcast with John A. Hoda. Then you have It's a Mystery Podcast with Alexandra Amor, and that is October the 12th. And then G.P. Gottlieb's New Book Network, and that's to be announced sometime in October. You're a busy kind of guy. He's bu- he's busier than a beaver in dam building. I time. guess so. Yeah. Well, <laughs> speaking of speaking of all these events, uh, are you uh, you got the tuxedo lined up for the Edgar Awards yet? Oh, I I, I dare not even think of that, you know. But uh, I, I I I was there a few years back when after I first uh, joined WWA and uh, MWA and. Set through all that, and that was a event that uh, you couldn't believe it was it was utterly amazing. I met Peter Lovesy that uh, one time there and talked to him for a while, which was just amazing for me to even be that close to someone like that, you know. <laughs> but uh, before anything was even published of mine, you know. But um, I love that. If 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 my name gets uh, anywhere other than just uh, mentioned as being up for the award, that's fantastic, you know. But, uh, you know, it's, it's like a lot of things that, you know, I'm not really in this. Uh, yeah, you say it, you think it's, I'm lying, but it, uh, I'm not really in it to win awards. I want to actually it's icing. say something with my yeah. writing. You know, yeah. I, I love what I'm doing. I, I, want to, I want to tell a story. I need to tell a story. Sure. And if things happen because of that, that's fantastic. But that's not my main impetus for uh, for doing things, you know. And you know, uh, I just I, got my actual issue of uh, Roundup Magazine from WWA today, and I see that uh, Carol Krieger has done her review in there of that, and I'm very uh, proud of that and glad she uh, took the effort to do that in there. If you look at the back of Death Waits in the Dark, you'll see the reviews that I got from Ann Hillerman and uh, William Kent Kruger on there. Oh, yeah. I love Kruger. He's a yeah. great writer. You've got one hell of a website, sir. Go ahead and tell us uh, uh, how, how do people find that. Well, that would be at markedwardlangley.com. It's markedwardlangley.com, one word. You can also find me on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. And for the oddest of all things, LinkedIn, uh, because of my previous business career, I have over 500 connections there. So I wouldn't have with it and set it up there, too, you know. (laughs) But uh, those are all out there. Excellent. Where do you want to go? Where do you want to go from here? We got uh, about five minutes left to shoot the breeze. Yeah, let okay. me think here. I got. I had something I wanted to touch on, and I can't remember what it was. <laughs> Todd, what do you got? Yeah, come on, well, Todd. Well, uh, let me you've ask very, you, Mark. You've been pretty quiet. <laughs> well, you know, I'm thinking back. It's been many years since I was at Window Rock and Ship Rock and 
uh, when I was uh, living on the Hunt Navajo Reservation, um, and I worked at a government school for a little while, and I'm just trying to trace back in my mind of those years and those places. So what is what is Albert's relationship, you know, do you have him going into Gallup? Do you have him, you know, going to the El Rancho for breakfast sometimes? Or does he go to the uh, the all-Indian powwow there in Gallup, which many people say is the largest group of Indians at any one time in the world? Great um, You know, or do you have him in, in uh, Grants, New Mexico? Or is he, you know, where does he hang his... It, of course, he hangs his hat at home, but where does he where does he frequent himself? Where does he find himself continually going? What are his haunts? I want to interject something there real quick. That is, it, when Arthur's traveling somewhere, you can follow the route because you're giving the New Mexico highway that he's on and where he's turning off and the yeah. and the gas station that's on go. the corner. Yep. That's just great. Well, but one thing I did with that is I try not to be too travel loggy, you know. Um, I try to give just enough information so people can relate and know where he is and so forth. And the ones that live out there can actually, oh, I've been on that road too. I stopped at that gas station. Huh? Yeah. But uh, there are certain things. Um, one people, What people can get from my books is 98% of the locations in them are real. And 2% are ones I make up for reasons because you can't have somebody murdered in a real hotel, you know. But, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, well, you could, it's, but it's like a, it's kind of bad business, you know. Yeah, but right. um, <laughs> with that, I've, I've driven the roads. I've been on the hard-packed roads. I've been yeah. in the area and the canyons and so forth, you know. I mean, uh, wherever Arthur goes in the books are places I've been. And I, I like that I can do that because you, you you can look at Google Earth all you want, but you can't it's pick up the, the sights, the sounds, the smells, the heat, the, the cold or whatever uh, through a computer. You actually have to go there and be on location to understand what it's like to be there in certain situations. So I, I bring, I think, an, an, a way of writing that, that that brings people into the, the surroundings that, that Arthur is in. Um, and granted, there are restaurants in Santa Fe I like, so he goes to Del Charo, you know, but you know, a few times. But okay. uh, it's it's like that, you know. But uh, there's there's locations that are there in the other books coming up. There's so many things I have plotted out that I'm sure he'll make his way around the state in certain areas all over the Navajo Reservation in uh, Arizona and uh, New Mexico some more and a little bit in Utah there. But uh, he's he's going to find his way around. Um, one of the funny things was one of my Facebook friends that lives out there in Arizona, I mentioned to her, or she mentioned on her page, that uh, her family was from around a certain area right there. And they had raised sheep and so forth and taken up the upper elevations of this little mountains right there uh, to graze and so forth. And I says, hey, that, that area is in my third book. Uh, you know, I talked to her about the, the area right there where it was, and we got a conversation going on that. So people, I love that on my Facebook page, I'm getting a lot of Navajo people that are reading my stories and that's equating great. with them, and they fall in love with the characters too. And that's what I really hope that, um, you know, I achieve is that 
they understand I want to learn and I want to know things that are out there and, and certain nuances. And uh, I rely on some of them. I ask them questions. They give me answers, you know. But um, I, I'd like them to, to read and know that I speak the truth on what I put in there. It's not just anything made up to sell a book. I, I really care about the people that are out there and the struggles they have day to day. And that's why I want to bring them uh, to light in, in the novels, because I think uh, people that read them may gain a deeper understanding of what really goes on. They look at a foreign country, and, oh, they have no water. They have, well, they have that here, too. They have no water. They have no heat. Oh, it's sure. brought in by truck, you know what I mean? So uh, they have to collect firewood and bring it to the elders uh, for wintertime. So these things people don't understand exist in this country, and the country is great. I love this country with all my heart, you know. But uh, there's people over here that, that can be helped and that can be looked at as not any different than the rest of us. And I think if I don't look at it with a mythical kind of thing, you know, or uh, try to glamorize something, you know, and just deal with the real uh, people and the real way things are in reality out there, I think it might, might open some eyes. Oh, the devil's in the details. Amen. There you go. Great interview, Mark. We're plumb out of time. Thank oh, you much shucks. for joining us uh, this afternoon. <clears throat> really appreciate it. And, I can uh, keep going. I know you can. Oh, well. uh, and, and we will probably have you back uh, when the next book comes out, uh, or it just because we may have you back. Who, who the hell knows? It, things are rather fluid. <laughs> well, we don't know. Uh, that's it. Uh, next week, though, I do know what we're doing next week. What are we doing next, next week? Next week, we are going to talk about 26 men. 26? What kind 26 of 26 men. From the Arizona Rangers. Oh, we have the historian for the Tucson, for the uh, uh, Tucson Company, Steve Utter. Yes, uh, he's an Arizona Ranger. He'll be joining us uh, next uh, Saturday here. So that's the the name of the tune for today. Uh, Mark, thank you once again. Appreciate it's been a it very much. Pleasure. Todd, thank you again for having me. I appreciate it. Todd, thank you. Thank you, so you much. Mark. And thank Bunker, you. thank you. And uh, everybody else, thank you. Uh, well, thank you, Harry. Thank, thank you. <laughs> That's all the time we got Thank for you today. All. <laughs> well, 78, 79, 80, so on. Thanks for listening to Emil Franzi's Voices of the West.